Our scripture reading is along the lines of what we've been doing all summer. We've been looking at various benedictions, doxologies, and prayers in the scripture. And we've now come to one that is in the very last page of your Bible. In fact, it's the very last book in the English Bible. And it is the words of St. John the Divine. And here it is. This is the text. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Two sons of Zebedee, James and John, you're familiar with their life as they were disciples of Jesus from the very beginning, part of the inner circle along with Peter. Outstanding young men in so many ways, came from a very good family. There are several episodes in the Gospels that tell us things that took place in that family. You probably haven't noticed, or maybe you have, that James was the first one to die. Very early in the ministry of the church there in Jerusalem, Herod had James put to death. He was, we talk about Stephen being the first martyr. uh, James was killed by Herod. That's what scared the life out of Peter when he was put in prison. Because he was in on death row. Death row wasn't a very long row back then and he was prayed out by the disciples you remember in the upper room as they prayed or in the home as they prayed Peter was miraculously delivered from prison and went on to have a long ministry contemporaneous and coterminous with the apostle Paul for all practical purposes John on the other hand outlived them all He was the disciple that survived most of the first century, perhaps into the early 90s, exiled to Patmos, and in the spirit on the Lord's day, the Lord gave him a vision. And the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, is a letter. We don't think of it necessarily as a letter because it has so many visions and passages that are uh, apocalyptic and very dramatic. We hear thunder and we see visions and there's light and there's strange happenings. There's a letter. There's a letter sent to the seven churches of Asia, which were just on the coast there off of Patmos. John writes this letter at the very end of his ministry and it was circulated throughout the entire world of the church, which at that point had gone all over the Mediterranean area and had spoked out from that center to what was the whole known world at that time. 
In the good providence of God, when it came time to put the scriptures together, according to the various bodies of writing, there was a Pauline corpus and a Petrine corpus, there was a Judean corpus, and there was a Johine, John corpus, or body. And these were fitted together, because it was 27 independent documents, for the most part, during their circulatory period. But as they began to come together in churches, accumulated them all, it ended up that Revelation came at the end. Because it chronologically probably was the last epistle written. And it also has in the closing chapters the vision of the new heaven and the new earth, which reflects back to Genesis, the original creation. But when John wrote this letter and had the closing put in and wrote that in, he did like Paul and Peter and others. He wrote a benediction as a closing. And this is it. It's beautiful because this not only is a benediction for the closing of the letter to, of Revelation, but it's also the benediction to the Bible. It's the closing for the Bible. It's the last prayer and the last blessing upon God's people. It's real short. It just has actually about six words in the original text. The subjects are grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus. And then implied be with you be with all and some texts add all saints that's it the grace of the lord jesus be with all amen Here's the key word. We're certainly going to talk about grace and the grace of the Lord Jesus. But the key word is with. Meta. It can mean alongside, with, of course, in the company of, in and by, depending on how it's used and with what context. And that's the thing I want to talk about this morning. I'm calling it Grace With Us is the title that Matt has assigned, and I like that all right, except what I'm going to do is just talk for a few moments about the experience of grace. I love more than anything else to preach the indicative gospel, that is the gospel of proclamation that tells what God has done from Genesis to Revelation and the story of redemption and the plan of salvation, and the great things that God has accomplished in His gospel, in Christ. And for some reason over the years, I, I have never spent much time sort of looking at things from the personal perspective of the individual believer. And I'm assuming that most of us here this morning are believers, and some of us are a little more mature. 
hopefully we're mature in our faith as well. But the experience of grace is living that life that God grants and imparts based on all that He has planned, that all that Christ has accomplished, and what the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit brings and applies to our life. We walk by faith, not by sight. And the experience of grace is God engendering, quickening, awakening, creating grace within our souls that change us and grow us. The passage we heard just a moment ago was grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And since this is a walk by faith, I want to take the elements of faith and see what the Lord might be doing in our life and imparting this grace to us. Because it is received by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If it's works, it's no more grace. And grace is charis, it's gift, it's a bestowal. We know that. So the Lord bestows upon us that which we need, that is, the faith, a gift of God, the faith. So I want to take just momentarily the three main elements of biblical faith, saving faith, genuine faith, and see how the grace of God is experienced that way. And I'll ask the question, have you experienced grace? Is the grace of the Lord Jesus with you? Is it alongside? Is it in company with? Is it in you? And are you now experiencing some of that work of grace in your soul and you begin to feel it? First, is biblical, genuine, true faith involves knowledge. It involves knowing. I think we emphasize that a lot in our church and in our denomination. We believe in the renewal of the mind. We know that the intellect has been blinded by our depravity and we have lost perspective and there are effects of sin upon our capacity to think and to reason and to understand. And the grace of God brings enlightenment, the quickening of the Holy Spirit, the making alive, the being born again, brings us sight, genuine spiritual sight. And in that sight, we, we see things. We see the grace of God in salvation. We see our own sinfulness and unworthiness. We see Christ's perfections and Christ's sacrifice. We see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we begin to understand things and we begin to accumulate good knowledge and we understand doctrines, truth, teaching, Torah, the doctrines of grace. It is the work of God 
graciously bestowed upon us that enables us to discern between truth and error in our understanding. We're given a perspective and an outlook and an insight into rich philosophical truths that have perplexed mankind for the centuries. And all of the philosophers have wrestled with epistemology. How do we know? How do we know that we know? How do we know that what we know is so? Truth. Epistemology. We, we get that from the Lord. He clears our eyes that we may behold marvelous things out of His law. Ontology, understanding of being. Who are we? What is the nature of existence? There's a crisis in our culture right now over being. Who are we? What is the nature of the humanoid? We understand a cosmogony that is the origin of the cosmos and the origin of humanity. If you don't understand, if we don't understand how we came to be, we really don't understand what we shall be. And the Lord gives us the capacity, rigorous thought, demands a good, clear, faith-infused, Christ-enlightened mind. I hear people bemoan the the teachings from our universities and our school almost every week somebody is new. That's because they've taken the light of the gospel right out of the classroom. As Jeremiah said, they have forsaken the word of God and what knowledge is in them, what wisdom is in them. And the answer to that question is not much. It is an experience of grace to be taught of the Lord. That was one of the great covenant promises in the new covenant. You won't have to teach your neighbor. They'll all know me, the Lord said. From the least of them to the greatest. They shall know me. Because he will make himself real to them. And that was the prayer of Jesus. When he prayed to the Father just before Calvary's cross, he said that they may know thee. They may know you, Father. And your Son, whom you have sent. That's the renewing of the mind. Another element of genuine faith is trusting. Trusting is not the same as knowing. They're all interrelated, of course, but trusting. It is an experience of grace for the Lord to give us a trusting heart. Most of the time we have a skeptical heart. We have a fearful heart. Our heart perhaps is angry, insecure. Don't trust anyone. Have what they call trust issues. You see it in business, you see it in divorces, you see it in families, you see it in people all the time. But it's an experience of grace that the Lord gives us in our salvation. It is grace with us when He gives us the capacity to trust. With respect to God, trusting God, that is a dependence upon Him. A surrender to His will. To believe the promise that says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. 
to defer our purpose to His, to cling to Him, to believe His promises. It's emotional. It's deep. It's visceral. Learning to trust the Lord, learning to lean on Him, learning to depend upon Him, to seek Him. It is a grace that we experience when we see our souls, our whole soul, fighting and dealing with sin. Every imaginable sin is in the human heart. If you really know your heart and you really know the commandments of God, you will conclude one day that you've broken them all. And all you can say is, I am the chief of sinners. And when you get to that point, to where you say, I am the chief of sinners, nobody exceeds me. Give me the catalog, give me the decalogue. I have failed and fallen short and transgressed every commandment. One way or the other. When you get to that point where you say, I'm the chief of sinners, you hear the gospel that says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I'm chief. That's an experiencing grace that's working within our souls. It's feeling it step by step, it's day by day. It forms in us the fruit of the Spirit. The grace of God working, teaching us to trust and depend and to thank and to worship. The Lord is, the Lord rebuilding the image of God within us as we are made into the likeness of Christ. There's a restoration that is taking place. The image of God that Adam lost in his sin is being restored in our salvation in Christ. A corrupting of our affections that comes from our depravity, that is that we're born in sin. Men come forth from the womb telling lies. There's no soundness in us from the head to the bottom of our feet, we are corrupt morally, full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, is the way Isaiah describes it in the very opening verses of his great prophecies. That, that total lack of moral purity that, that just affects us, makes us dysfunctional, brings us down, causes us to be so warped and all of that is being cleaned up as the, God does His sanctifying work in our heart as we learn to trust Him each day. And then the other element that I want to mention of saving and genuine biblical faith that we're experiencing grace in is obedience. 
We're not talking about obedience in order to be saved in the first place. You couldn't do that if you wanted to, and the Bible doesn't expect you to. And the Lord doesn't require it, because He knows you can't. That's why it's grace. The operation of grace doesn't leave you where it finds you. God in His grace takes you from where you are, wherever that is, and moves you to where you ought to be. And that involves a life of obedience. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's an expectation that we will become obedient, that we will prove that acceptable and good will of God. And this involves a few things that have to be done. Somewhere along the line, we have to learn to love the Lord with all our hearts. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To love our enemy and not render evil for good. This is a delightful process because in our depravity, we're, we have been enslaved in our will. We've been incapacitated in our volitional capacity to obey and to choose that which is right. Over and over the Bible says, choose right, choose good, choose life. And it's completely spiritually naive to think that we can without an infusion and an experience of the grace of God in salvation. And when we do come to that place where the Lord liberates us, and we realize that we're not under the penalty of the law anymore. Oh, we're under the law. But it's the perfect law of liberty. It's, God, it's a transcript of God's character and His nature. And we learn to say like the psalmist, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation day and night. Before long, we're like the prophet Jeremiah. We would say, thy words were found and I did eat them and they became to me the joy and rejoicing of my soul. Obedience becomes a goal. Obedience becomes a passion. Obedience to the Lord becomes something that we want. We want to be the sons that, that he has bestowed so much upon. Our response is always obedience. It's not keeping of a law of a tyrant it's a loving, personal relationship with a Savior. Are you experiencing grace? Even in our suffering, the Lord says His grace is sufficient. Pray for grace. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. There's no changing, no variance, no shadow of turning. And He will give good gifts to His children. Pray for more grace. More grace to know. More grace to trust. More grace to obey.